<laughs> Wait, or am I supposed to go? <laughs> All right, we're actually set up the studio a little differently. I'm on the opposite side. I feel weird here. Uh, anyone ever watch that movie Zoolander? Remember from the good old days? The guy used to joke and be like, I can't turn left, <laughs> you know? So I'm going to have to figure this out. It's a different setup here, but I love it. Uh, all right, so welcome back. I think, um, you know, we're all getting ready for Christmas is coming up in a couple weeks. I know everyone's excited and you know, uh, hopefully the new year is going to be great this coming, uh, what are we at, 2023, all right, good stuff. Uh, and I'm excited, a few people uh, contacted me, uh, you know, run it by my lawyer, so I always tell people, run it by me, and I'll, and I'll let you know what I think. Uh, and I had a, this guy named Andrew, good guy, good guy, he owns a house in San Diego, and for the last couple of years, he wasn't getting a water bill and he kept checking online. He kept trying to figure it out and, and he just didn't understand why he was not getting a water bill. And then uh, a few days ago, all of a sudden, he got a $2,400 water bill, right? <laughs> so it was just out of doors. So he contacts me. He's like, well, what can I do about this? And I said, well, here's your options. You can pay it or lose your house, you pick. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, because, you know, the city has uh, almost unlimited power when it comes to that. Uh, but all jokes aside, he could probably get a delay in having to pay it type of thing because of under the circumstances. But one thing he's not gonna get is the water thing waved, <laughs> you know? Um, other than that, I said, you know what? Why don't you just drink more coffee? Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. So uh, I thought that was interesting. All right. So now uh, today's topic, look, my goal with this podcast is to kind of uh, explain how the law works to people. And and, um, and when I say people, I mean, lawyers, uh, younger lawyers, uh, experienced lawyers, like the general public, I kind of want to, uh, you know, for people to understand how the law works and the law could be a very boring topic. So what I always like to do is bring up interesting cases and interesting stories and then through those stories kind of explain how the law is working. So today's topic will be Katie Meyer. Okay, as you can see, a young woman here. Uh, and then today's, uh, what we're going to talk about is some of the, the tragic events that led to her suicide. And now her parents are suing Stanford University for tens and tens of millions of dollars, maybe a hundred million dollars, you know? Um, and what I'm going to do is kind of like walk you through what happened, how the law works, how the jurisdiction works, and how all the different pieces kind of have to connect uh, in terms of this lawsuit, all right? Uh, Miss Meyer was born in January 2000. So at the time, she was 22 years old. Um, and wow, January 2000, I think back then, people were still, right? People were worried about the Y2K bug. Anyone remember that, <laughs> right? And, oh, the world's gonna end in the year 2000 because of the Y2K bug. Anyway, so she was born in the, uh, January 2000 and um, she had the most amazing uh, credentials. Uh, I mean, she was the captain of the Stanford women's soccer team. Uh, she was the goalkeeper and she was, you know, like an MVP of their championship game. And she was, you know, one of the best goalkeepers. Uh, she was the resident advisor at the Stanford freshman dorm. She was a Mayfield fellow. She was a defensive innovator scholar. I mean, her credentials, she had almost a 4.0 GPA at Stanford. She was the ambassador for just women's sports and the creator of a podcast. Any creator of a podcast has to be, you know, given some props here. Uh, so she had her own own podcast. She was an upcoming speaker at a TED 
X talk. Um, that's a freaking pretty big deal, right? Anyway, so she and then she was on her way to Stanford Law School. So as as you could tell, so she had all the you know everything going for her in her life, and now comes the kind of like how the heck did this happen and or and what happened? Okay, uh, so so our friend Katie said the the captain of the Stanford soccer team. Um, there was an allegation. So one of her teammates, a 17-year-old at the time, so a minor, right? Uh, there was an allegation that somebody from the Stanford football team, and now that we're in the World Cup, you know, let's get this straight. The football is football, right? You know, again, you know, the the I don't know. There's some people call football uh soccer or vice versa right no we all know what football is okay all right so somebody from the stanford football team uh the allegation was assaulted sexually assaulted her teammate and friend who was on the women's soccer team right and the allegation you know that happened or or allegedly happened on august 20 2021 these dates are important okay uh and then one week later on august 28 2021 uh, Katie uh, saw this guy and she uh, threw coffee at him. Okay, so she saw him on campus and she threw coffee at him. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that's what happened. Now there was uh, something very important after that. The football player said that it was just an accident and he didn't want to press charges or anything like that. Like he didn't want to do anything. He said, "Oh." She she spilled coffee on me. It was an accident. You know, Katie said the same thing. This was an accident. You know, I think we all know what really happened. It probably wasn't an accident. But the bottom line is what we call the alleged victim said, right? He said it, this is just an accident. I'm sure he probably didn't want any more heat on him, you know, after the coffee spill. But he said it was an accident. And the reason why that's important is because in law, a lot of times when you don't have somebody that's supposed to be the victim saying it was a crime, then you don't really, like the, the prosecutor wouldn't have a case. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it, can you imagine the prosecutor saying, oh, so then he hit you? No, he didn't. It, we bumped into each other. It's like, whoa, <laughs> their case is gone, right? So anyway, so you would think, you would think that that is where the story ended. No, unfortunately, that is not where the story ended. Uh, six months later, after Stanford kind of went back and forth a little bit, with uh, with Katie, and they interviewed some other people. They Stanford ended up charging her, um, and the word charging is kind of weird because uh, you would think it's like a criminal case, but it's not a criminal case. It's like a it's a school case, uh, so to speak. And when they charged her six months later, um, they had the authority to kick. You know, they said in a letter to her, in an email to her, um, that you know we're going to charge you with. Uh, you know, spilling coffee on this guy, and that if you're found guilty, you know, you could get kicked out of the school. She was on her way to graduate. We could withhold your diploma, kick you off the team. You know, you're obviously not going to go to Stanford Law School. Like, whoa, like her whole life flashed before her eyes. And it was that night, February 28, six months from there, that same night after she got the email uh, that she, you know, took her own life. Okay. She was in her dorm room alone. It was in the middle of the night. And she uh, she hanged herself. OK, so now comes the aftermath and kind of how the law is going to work itself out through here and and the parents and everything and, and, and how it all goes. All right. Um, now, first things first, 
The the lawsuit was then filed nine months later in November 2022. All right. Uh, she died in February 2022. Now, during those nine months, uh, the parents and their lawyers and Stanford and its lawyers tried to get this issue resolved. All right. And they couldn't. Uh, and what that means is probably, you know, what, what I and what I believe happened is the parents uh, were very upset obviously, and they were probably looking for a lot more money than the university wanted to pay, okay? So it's not like this lawsuit just comes out of the blue. Uh, and then the lawsuit is filed in November 2022. Now, there are at least four law firms representing Katie Myers' parents, all right? Let's go through these law firms really quick. The first one is Justice Law Collaborative LLC. They hired an attorney out of um, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Kimberly Doherty. Uh, now, she's a big shot, and I'll tell you one of the cases that her law firm settled. It was that USA Gymnastics case. Uh, remember that infamous uh, doctor who sexually assaulted a lot of different uh, USA Gymnastics, uh, you know, the women's team? Uh, and that settlement was for over $400 million. And that was just one of the settlements in that in that case. So she was a, a kind of a big, uh, a big shot in that particular case. And then you have these other law firms as Wilford Law, Consumer Protection Legal Law uh, in Missouri, and uh, Casey Flynn's law firm. Okay, so we have now four law firms that represent the parents. And I'm going to tell you that if the parents ever tell their story to a jury, it is not going to be good for the university. All right, as you can see here in this really quick clip, this is the parents talking about her daughter, their daughter. We're just like heartbroken. And she was excited. She had a lot on her plate. She had a lot going on. She was, uh, she was happy. She was in great spirits. It was the uh, usual jovial yeah. Katie. Yeah. Obviously, the parents are in a lot of pain. They're, they're beautiful, beautiful parents. They're obviously very loving, very caring. Their daughter had everything going for her, right? And, uh, you know, everything is going perfectly, right? And so if these parents tell their story to a jury, we don't know. My gut feeling, especially after the jury learns more about uh, Katie Meyer and sees pictures of her. I mean, she looks like she's got it all together. She's, you know, a captain of the soccer team. She's doing amazing in school. She, you know, all the soccer players are going to stand up for her and talk about how awesome uh, she was as a person. And what was her... At worst, what was her crime, you know, uh, going after a football player who allegedly sexually assaulted her teammate who is only 17 years old, right? So God forbid for the university, if these two parents tell their story to a jury, uh, I don't know what will happen. And when I say I don't know, I'm just saying I don't know if it's going to be $100 million that a jury would give them or whatever, $200 million. We don't know. Okay. Um, so, all right. Now, the first order of business, here's a little trivia. What do I always like to discuss first when I talk about a lawsuit? Jurisdiction, <laughs> right? Where is the proper jurisdiction in this case? The jurisdiction in this case is going to be in California and is going to be in Santa Clara County, California, all right? So this is very important. Um, the plaintiffs are... California residents. So Mr. and Mrs. Meyer are California residents. Now Stanford is in California 
and it is a resident of California. I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, Stanford's a school. It's not a person. But uh, with corporations and schools and things like that, they're considered a person in terms of the legal, you know, so they reside in the in the state that they're either incorporated in or they do their principal place of business in. So here, obviously, Stanford is, you know, does this principal place of business is in California. And it's a private school. So it's kind of treated like a private corporation. It's not the government. All right. So we have a California resident or two California residents suing a California resident. When that happens, um, from the jurisdiction standpoint, uh, the law students will, will, will better listen quick. Okay. There's no, it's called diversity of jurisdiction because the plaintiffs and the defendants are of the same state. So when there's no diversity jurisdiction, then the only way to get in a federal court is you have to have what's called subject matter jurisdiction. Subject matter jurisdiction, yeah, you have to have diversity of, of uh, you know, the, the plaintiffs and defendants are different states uh, and the lawsuit is over $75,000 or you have to have what's called a federal question. A federal question means you're suing over some sort of free speech right or some sort of uh, equal protection clause right or some sort of other federal constitutional issue or federal uh, legal issue. Here, that's not the case. This is a simple, uh, I say simple in the sense that, you know, it's not a constitutional case. It's a tort law claim and it's under state law. So the jurisdiction is the California state court, all right? I assure you Stanford would love to have been able uh, or would love to be able to get this case into federal court. Now, what the hell is the difference between the state court and the federal court? I used to always like wonder that because in San Diego, it's like the state court is on, I think it's a 330 West Broadway, right? And the federal court's like, you know, whatever, 221 West Broadway. It's it's like right across the street, all right? So, but that street is a very important street, apparently, because the... Um, in a federal court, the defendant can, uh, or, or the yeah, the defendant could win the case if like all, uh, not all of the jurors agree on liability and the amount, so, and then defendant could win because um, in the federal courts require that everybody agrees that the defendant is liable and that the defendant you know on a monetary amount, whereas in the state court you don't need all the jurors to agree on civil liability. So that right there, that is one of the most important ones where the defendant always wants to get into a federal court. All right. So here the jurisdiction is in state court. All right. Um, and I <laughs> I go through that because when I was in law school, I thought jurisdiction was kind of a boring topic. And uh, and then in practice, it turns out that in a lot of cases, the first few years of litigation are just over jurisdiction. OK, now we can talk about the case again. OK, so uh, now what the parents have to do is they have to prove that the university screwed up and that the university, uh, you know, it was foreseeable that how the university acted resulted in her uh, killing herself, okay? So now comes the, uh, the tort law claim, all right? Now, the first order of business is this. The, the university, when they finally sent her a letter, an email is in the case, saying that you're basically... We're trying to kick you out of the school. We're trying to withhold your diploma. We are trying to kick you off the soccer team. We're trying to take away your scholarship. We're trying to, you know, make sure you don't go to law school here at Stanford. Like, wow, that ruined her life. You know, or, or the image of all of that in her mind was like, my life is ruined. Everything I've worked for and so hard for is now ruined, right? Um, 
one of the things that her lawyer, the parents' lawyers did such a great job in, in this uh, civil action complaint is this. They said, well, what happened was uh, when they initially started kind of investigating this, the guy that, like I said before, the football player said it was an accident. No, nothing, you know, don't ask me anymore. All's good. Right. And uh, when they asked her, she said it was an accident. Maybe it was. I wasn't there. Right. <laughs> she said it was an accident. And the alleged victim said it was an accident. OK. Um, and then you just had this woman, uh, this associate dean, Lisa Caldera. OK. She was the associate dean of residential living. I did. Did you guys know there's an associate dean of residential living? What the? Uh, oh, <laughs> like, there's a dean of residential living, then there's an associate dean. Okay, for some crazy reason, this associate dean here, she just takes it upon herself. There's no alleged victim. She just takes it upon herself to go after Katie Meyer and file these charges against Katie Meyer. I don't know what her problem was, all right? Um, anyway, I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I know one thing's for sure, the jury will hate her guts, okay, because they're just going to look at her and be like, what the hell were you pushing this for, you know? Um, I don't know. Okay, but but I just, I don't think it's going to look good. But nonetheless, so she pushed this issue. Then when the university kind of like was discussing this with her, she informed the university that this is stressing her out. This is causing her major, uh, you know, uh, like shock and withdrawal and, and all of the above. And her lawyers did a good job of kind of detailing, uh, you know, what the university did or didn't do. Okay, this is what happened. The university, keep in mind, these are the, the student athletes at Stanford. You know, they're obviously like a big deal, right? They bring so much money to the school and, and all of that. And they have psychologists and, and counselors and all that stuff. So she went and saw one, all right? Now, this is the funny part, is that lawyers have a funny way of spinning different things. Like, to me, it's like, wow, in a way, the well, obviously, the university did the right thing by having her seeing a counselor, right? Now, what the lawyers said is that something a little different. They said, so she went to counseling, and she informed the counselors of how uh, this situation was causing her like major stress and major, you know, uh, drama in her life. Right. And it got so bad that, uh, one of the counselors, you know, they recommended she sees a psychiatrist, the psychiatrist recommended this medicine, uh, concerta. Yeah. It's some sort of, uh, some sort of medication that psychiatrists thought would help her out with this. And then, some for some reason and the, and then uh you know this will be you know come out during the discovery phase she wasn't able to even get that medication she tried to get it through the university and she said there was some sort of insurance issue or blah 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 she tried a couple times she didn't get it and she, you know the trail went cold and that stanford doctor didn't follow up you know didn't follow up and and say like well why didn't you take it or you know didn't send her a letter saying you should take it or if you don't want to take it, why don't you come back or, you know, whatever the case may be. So the lawyers detailed kind of how, you know, uh, the doctors at Stanford and, and you know, how they kind of dropped the ball, so to speak. And 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 look, maybe she dropped the ball, right? I probably shouldn't say dropped the ball because she's a goalkeeper. 
Let me stop saying that. <laughs> Sorry. You know, uh, maybe she's the one that didn't follow up correctly. Okay. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so there we have it. And then, uh, but nonetheless, the doctors are usually the ones that should follow up correctly, right? But they didn't. Now, the reason why I'm saying I applaud the lawyers for the plaintiff so much is then they say, all right, when they finally did send her an email saying, we're going to like ruin your life completely. They sent it on February 28, 2022, and they sent the email around 7 p.m., Okay, now why is that important? Because the lawyer said at 7 p.m., all of the university services are already closed, right? And at 7 p.m., she had no recourse to kind of go to, you know, her counselor or anything, right? You know how those folks are? It's like they work nine to five and you make a call and they call you eight months later, you know, whatever. Okay, so uh, I'm joking about the eight months. But she had no, no, nobody to turn to, so to speak, uh, with an email at 7 p.m. And then, sure enough, she actually did respond to that email, you know, from the uh, office that charged her and said that, you know, we're going we're gonna to for formally charge us and ruin your life, potentially, right? Uh, she did respond saying, I am uh, shocked and distraught. And then... She sends that email right away, and the university did nothing, all right? Um, nothing. They could have, you know, tried to run it up the ladder, tried to send someone there, tried to call her, do whatever. You know, uh, there was one report that said, you know, like it was, oh, well, we opened in three days, and maybe we could discuss it then, you know, in a hearing or something. But there was no, nothing that kind of sought out to help her, right? So she's alone in her dorm room. There's nobody there to help her. Uh, and there's nobody for her to call. In theory, the lawyers are saying that knowing that she's going through all of this, knowing that all of this is happening, uh, they should have, instead of sending her an email after everything's closed. And by the way, February 28th, it's kind of, I don't know, this is kind of weird because the time just changed. So, you know, the daylight savings ended about, a, was it, about a month ago. And, and, and here in California, at something like, 4 p.m., it seems like it's nighttime, <laughs> right, doesn't it? You know, at 4 p.m., it's like dark almost. And at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., I joke, when I leave the office like really late at night, like 5.30, I feel like it's midnight. So anyways, it's 7 p.m., you know, uh, no one's there with her, blah, blah, blah. Like I said before, everything's already closed. So the lawyers make it a point to say, because the university knows all of this, and instead of them sending an email to a uh, student athlete that they know is already very distraught over this. And she sent, you know, these, uh, you know, when the, they investigated her, she told them she's very distraught. And they know, you know, instead of having a kind of system that sends an email uh, at night, that maybe when they're going to ruin a student's life, they should, you know... Hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What's up? Blah, blah, blah. It's kind of, you know, like that. It's, I guess it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to uh, break up with someone, you don't do it in a text message or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, you know, that's kind of what they're saying. But to a very, very important degree here, they're saying that, you know, and this is, I'm going through this in, in what some of you may think is like, why does he keep harping on this? Because this is kind of the gist of the case. This could be the $100 million question. 
Because if, uh, if this gets to a jury and a judge says to a jury, was it negligent, you know, under the circumstances being that the university knew how distraught this was and how awesome of a student athlete she was and that this letter is going to be, you know, we're going to ruin your life type of letter. Was it negligent that they would send this to her at a time when she can't seek any services and get any help from the university? Right. Wow. I if I was Stanford's lawyers, I would not want the jury to have to answer that question. Do you see what I'm saying? So I believe in this case that is going to be a big part of it. Right. Um, you know, and it's not how expensive would it have been for them to email her earlier in the day? <laughs> not at all. Right. Uh, how expensive could it have been if they said, you know, hey, what, we wanted to talk about this or have someone go over there? I don't know. But in another, by the way, in another way, imagine if somebody goes over there and then the allegation is that's, you know, why didn't you just email her? Why did you have to have someone go over there like that? Like then, you know, people notice that she's in trouble. So do you see what I'm saying? So it's not necessarily going to be a like dead end. Again, don't you like, I'd be better with my words. It's not going to be the end of the case, if they kind of say, um, you know, we didn't have someone go over there, like Stanford still has some defenses. But I do think that this is the gist of the case. Okay. Now, uh, there's other extremely important issues here. All right. Uh, in law, it's kind of crazy. Because uh, and, and one of the reasons why I always say to people like, why does the law? Why do these lawsuits take so long? All right, there's another topic that while I was in law school, now, by the way, I'm not picking on Stanford because I'm a UC Berkeley law school graduate. There's a big rivalry between UC Berkeley and Stanford. Part of the rivalry rivalry uh, revolves around how much of a better school UC Berkeley is. Okay, <laughs> how much better athletics departments they have. You know, better history and all of the above. <laughs> right? No, just kidding. Okay, so that's not why I'm picking on Stanford. I think it's a it's an interesting case. Okay, so now what I always tell people is. This kind of rule of evidence, uh, what if there's a jury trial, what will the jury hear? OK, and that's and that that is what this like rules of evidence, uh, the rules of evidence. OK, and the rules of evidence could uh, make or break a case. Now, let me let me explain a few things. All right. Uh, here we go. Da, 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 da. Uh, man, you know what my favorite thing about this was? God, I love these lawyers. They were very concise with their complaint. <laughs> like when I downloaded it, I'm like, oh, it's only like 70 pages. I was excited. I almost felt like I was cheating, you know, uh, because most of the time you have like a complaint that's like, you know, 500 pages when it could have just been 70. And, and so these lawyers are good. <laughs> the fact that they made it so short. Okay. Um, there is a saying, by the way, in, in the movies or whatever, they said somebody said one time, like, well, why didn't you make it a short movie instead of like a long movie? And the guy said, well, I didn't have the time to make it a short movie, <laughs> you know, like, because it's so hard to condense something uh, and still make it really good. So that's what these lawyers did. OK, so here we go. This is what I mean by rules of evidence. Um, will the jury, can they or can they not hear this? At the time, after this alleged incident of her throwing coffee uh, at the guy, which, by the way, her lawyers keep saying you know, she spilled coffee. Like, come on. We know she didn't spill coffee. We know that it was kind of a heroic, like, you know, she threw it at the guy. The guy says she spilled it. She says she spilled it. All right, no harm, no foul. It's all done, right? I think the lawyers could get a little more credibility saying that instead of continuously say, I spilled coffee 10 million times in my life. No one ever sued me for it, right? Because they knew 
it was a freaking accident, right? Anyway, uh, nonetheless, uh, in in this, um, what they bring up in this complaint is after this allegation that she spilled coffee or threw coffee or whatever it was, the university continued to promote her in their marketing materials. So if you look at some of these pictures here, you know, you see that uh, Stanford, like they, they always want to display how awesome their athletics department is, how great their soccer team is, right? Because they're trying to recruit new students, right? And, and, and make themselves look good. I mean, come on, they got to do something to be uh, look as good as UC Berkeley, right? Um, so what, what, one of the things that the lawyers are putting up here is that even after this, Stanford continued to promote her and keep her on their, uh, their university images. Ah, <laughs> well, if the jury hears that, you know, then I think that's a big deal. I think the jury would be like, well, obviously then they're, they like her and, and why are they going after her? And, you know, why would they promote her while they're secretly trying to kick her out? That, you know, I, we could see why she thought this issue was a done deal and that it wasn't going to come up. Right. Um, the university will explain to the judge and, and through this process called a motion in limine. All right. And you get to know your Latin, like the light of the, you know, uh, limine meaning light. Uh, the university will say that that is not relevant, Your Honor, you know, and, and they'll make a motion to exclude that evidence, right? We're getting to the very, very nitty gritty here, because if the the jury knows that, wow, Stanford was was marketing her, they were, she was on their public images, their uh, their university web pages and whatnot, it'll it'll be very good, obviously, for the family, right? If that evidence is excluded, if the judge says, no, it's... The relevance of that is very little, but, you know, the jury could outweigh its probative value, it's called. And because the jury could misconstrue that evidence, we're just going to throw it out. Right. And if the jury doesn't hear that evidence, you know, obviously it'll be a, a much tougher case for the plaintiffs. Right. Um, those type of disputes. Uh, one of the things I want people to understand is that they make or break a case a lot of times, right? Uh, and, and a lot of times when there's a case on appeal, uh, one of the most popular reasons to appeal um, would be that, let's say, let's say the family takes this case and it goes through a full trial and the family loses, right? And that all of this evidence was thrown out, meaning that the, the judge ruled it was inadmissible and the family loses. That would be a great basis for a potential appeal. Do you see what I'm saying? So, it's like it's like the, those are the type of things that keep a case going even after a jury trial. Or conversely, if a judge rules that this evidence should be admitted, meaning the jury sees that Stanford was promoting her, and then the university loses, that would be a great basis for the university to file an appeal. Uh, and by the way, judges hate when their cases get appealed and then their cases get reversed on appeal. It's like a, you know, a very big problem that happens, right? They, so they, you know, so they better rule correctly or they better rule in a way that they'll be, um, you know, uh, what's it called? It'll be uh, withheld in, in the appeal. Okay. All right. There's more in terms of the evidence. This, this one I love. Again, there's a reason why her lawyers are so sought after and, uh, you know, why there's all these big shots and they hire these, the, the parents hired these law firms from different states. They made this other pitch, okay, and I love this so much. I have to, I have to quote it to make sure I don't say it wrong. Okay, 
this is the plaintiff's lawyers talking, right? Stanford holds itself out to new students and their families, including the Meyer family, as not just a university, but as a family. Uh, in its students' orientation, Stanford represents, we warmly welcome you and your student to the Stanford family, <laughs> right? Uh, paragraph 113 of the complaint on Stanford's new orientation page of its website, it states the approaching Stanford and new student orientation team is thrilled to welcome our undergraduate first year and transfer students as newest members of da, 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 the Stanford family. OK, uh, that is a big deal, right? Because you know what? One thing the family members don't do is freaking threaten to ruin a family member's life in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> uh, some families do do that, I think, <laughs> but not, you know, the warm family, not, you know, so that right there, by the way, that is another type of, you know, evidence. Um, and one of the big deals in this case, the kind of make it or break it things, and again, we're getting down to the very nitty gritty, you know, this is kind of like what lawyers argue about for several months, and in some cases, several years. Will the jury know that that information was relayed to the parents, you know? Uh, I think it's relevant, <laughs> right? I think it's, it's important to know, uh, because then it kind of shows that it's like Stanford is kind of telling them, you know, oh, we're going to we're going to treat them kindly. We're going to be like forgiving. We're going to work with them. You know, we're not going to freaking threaten to ruin their life in the middle of the night when they can't get any help. Right. So I think that is relevant. I think that that uh, the parents will have a good shot of getting that evidence in. I could be wrong. I'm sure if we had Stanford's lawyers here, they would say I'm crazy and that that information is just I can't whistle very well. Can we edit in a good whistle? <laughs> right. So they're going to say that the Stanford, the Stanford lawyers will say Joe Samuel's crazy. That evidence is not relevant. OK. Uh, and then another one. I love this one. Uh, paragraph 128. Right. Uh, then they said this in the year. And this is the same year that uh, Katie enrolled in Stanford to all parents and family members who are here to wish you. Well. Oh, sorry. Let me start that over. Let me start that over. OK. Paragraph 118. Um, to uh, this is the uh, a remark made to the uh, to the parents and everyone at this orientation, to all of the parents and family members who are here to wish you well as you embark on this journey, I thank you for entrusting your loved ones to us. I want to assure you we will support and care for them, right? So this is the university kind of assuring the parents at this orientation that we're going to take care of them, we're going to look after them. Um, now we will be your partners, talking to the parents, in supporting them, the students, as they develop into successful citizens who will offer their own important contributions, uh, you know, blah, 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 right? Again, th th those will be very hard fought out uh, battles over this case. Okay, da, 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 da. there's some more different, different things here. Now, um... The next one that was very important that the the plaintiffs are seeking is remember when I said there's that football player who allegedly assaulted a minor on the soccer team, according to the family, and they're correct here. In my understanding is that that football player never got kicked out. Okay, 
He didn't get kicked out. And these same type of threatening letters and threatening administrative procedures and charges from that associate freaking dean, none of that happened to the football player, okay? And what the parents' attorneys are saying is that uh, Stanford was being discriminatory here. Uh, and then discriminatory kind of like favoring, you know, uh, the football players. Like, guess which department makes more money for the university? The football team <laughs> or the women's soccer team? You don't need that much time, right? Okay, so they're saying that they're kind of discriminating in favor of the male football players because they didn't go after that male football player with the same type of you know, aggressiveness that they went after uh, Katie Meyer. Uh, that will be a big issue in the case. I think, uh, again, Stanford will make the position that that is not relevant, that, that the jury shouldn't know about that, 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 you know, the relevance of that is nothing compared to the kind of probative value of all of that. Um, I hate to say it, or I like to say it, whatever. I think Stanford might win that one. I think that one might be a tough one because that, other case, there's so many different circumstances, and there's um, in law, they usually don't like to have one trial, and then there being a separate trial in that trial. Like we don't want, and and we don't want the jury to have to go through this case with Katie Meyer, and then all of a sudden have a case of well, did the football player sexually assault the that 17 year old? Like that's so that's not this case. Do you see what I'm saying? So I don't know. I think that one might be a little bit tough uh, to get to. Okay. Uh, a couple years before this, there was a lawsuit, a big class action lawsuit against Stanford University. And get this, this one is is, is pretty interesting. The, the lawsuit against Stanford University claimed that Stanford was not properly, and this is only, the lawsuit was in 2018, so only four years ago, and it was settled in 2019, only three years ago. That lawsuit alleged that Stanford didn't have proper um, mental health uh, facilities and mental health, uh, you know, assistance for their students. Uh, Stanford settled that lawsuit, paying the plaintiff's attorneys about half a million dollars and agreeing that they weren't doing a good job. Okay. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not good for Stanford if that evidence gets in. And as part of that, uh, what some of the investigation was is that apparently, and I did not know this until I really started researching this case, um, every year about five Stanford students, uh, die by suicide. Okay. You know, three to five. I didn't know this, right? And what the, that lawsuit alleged, and Stanford uh, settled it and paid a lot of money, um, what they alleged was that Stanford didn't have kind of proper, uh, you know, I guess it's obviously it's a very stressful environment for these students, right? And, and Stanford didn't kind of like look after them or, or have proper facilities. They didn't have proper mental health kind of, uh, I don't know, information or doctors or little trigger things that to, to look after them, things like that. Um, but the big one was the Stanford agreed and settled and paid a lot of money and agreed that they would fix things, right? Um, I mean, ugh, fudge, that's really, really bad, okay? Uh, and if that evidence comes in, that might really hurt the university. Um, here's the deal. I 
this is why, see what I'm saying? When I was in law school and, and we would uh, take classes on this evidence and, and what evidence could come in or not, I just remember thinking, but this isn't the case, you know, like, or, or this isn't like the main issue here is did they, you know, screw up and how they handled the everything with this girl, right? Uh, and then all this, this lawsuit in 2018 and blah, blah, blah. It's not even related to this girl's case. But clearly, if that evidence comes in, then the university could lose every, like not everything because they're worth billions of dollars, but they could lose a couple hundred million dollars if that evidence comes in, right? Uh, and then the plaintiff's lawyers, they detail every student's name who knowingly committed suicide at Stanford in the last few years. I'm not going to say the students' names. It was really, really sad to, to read, right? But if all of that evidence comes in and they settled the lawsuit, they, they uh, agreed that they weren't kind of like looking after mental health uh, issues as well as they could have, right? All of that, if, if all of that evidence comes in, uh, that's going to really be bad, you know, especially if all the evidence of all the other students who, who committed suicide just in the last couple of years, if that evidence comes in like fudge, that's going to be bad news. Now, <coughs> man, uh, God, talking about all this right before Christmas. Okay, so <laughs> sorry, but it's, a, it's an interesting case. You want to learn the law. This is, you know, uh, the last, another order of business. All right, hold on, let me say it over. The next order of business goes like this. Um, if the family proves that Stanford um, you know, acted improperly. I mean, they were careless. Then the question is, well, how much money, <laughs> right? Like, does the family, should the family get 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, or 100 million, or 200 million? Or should the family get 100 grand? 100 grand is a lot of money, <laughs> right? Isn't there a candy bar that's 100 grand? But 100 grand is a lot of money, so is 100 million. But how does the jury come up with a fair amount? Now, um, one of the things that I am always shocked to say is that somehow uh, the rich people just get more money than the poor people, okay? And this is this is the reasoning behind the law, all right? And uh, so let's say, you know, that same day, let's say two people died, you know, Katie Meyer dies, you know, she's, she's 22-year-old, captain of the Stanford team, you know, all that good jazz, right? And then let's just say another 22-year-old, you know, girl, uh, broke, you know, her parents are whatever. They're not really in the picture. She has two kids. She's not working or she works sometime, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, you know, in and out of drug uh, issues. The law says this, okay, get this. So the law says part of the, what they call it, the damages. Okay. I've said it before, right. In law, we have this thing called the remedy, the remedy is, I think that song, but no, the, the remedy is kind of like, well, what, what should the family get? A, a big factor of that is, well, how much money would this, uh, would the plaintiff have gotten had she lived, you know, or how much money would the family have gotten if she lived? So um, a jury would say, whoa, this girl, Katie Meyer, right? She was about to go to Stanford Law School. She's a big shot. She's obviously very smart. Um, I don't know. I think she'll average $300,000 a year, right? For the next 40 years, let's say, whatever, right? Uh, that's, let's see, 300,000, 40 years, that's $12 million, right? So she could, in theory, have earned $12 million. The other example I said, uh, the girl that doesn't have a job, let's see, she averages 30 grand a year, <laughs> 30 grand a year times, you know, maybe 30 years, maybe she would have not have worked as long, 30 grand. This is, these are actual experts that make these decisions, not Joe Samuel. I'm just, uh, 
you know, summarizing it for you. She would have made 30 grand, the, the little the, the drug addict girl, uh, 30 grand, 30 years. That's at best 900,000. So we went $12 million here, $900,000 there. Um, the reasoning behind that is because the law just looks at Katie's life. I don't want to say that her life is more valuable, uh, but damn it, she, her family would get a lot more money. <laughs> so you put the pieces together. That is one of the shocking things about the law. That's why, you know, that is a big element there is like how to determine, you know. So, for example, if I'm driving and I and I hit a guy who's, you know, whatever, uh, he's just jobless and broke and has been his own life. Then, you know, and if he can't work the rest of his life, it's like, what's the big deal, dude? You just hurt someone that's, that wasn't going to make any money anyway, right? But if I hit someone who's like a freaking doctor that's making 500 grand a year, uh, I'm going to owe that guy a lot more money, you know, than this guy. And that's just how the law works. So I think the damages element, if the family wins, they have to get two things. They have to prove liability, meaning Stanford screwed up. Then they get to the damages, I call that the bonus round. <laughs> you know, how much do we get round? Okay, I think based on how wonderful the girl was and, and where she was headed and how awesome, you know, uh, her life would have been and how much money she would have made and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you add the emotional damages and she was awesome. Her parents are awesome. Like, you know, you saw them earlier in that little clip. They're beautiful, like loving parents. I think that if Stanford is liable, I don't know. I think a jury would give the family maybe hundred million dollars, give or take. What do you guys think? More, go like this if it's more or less. Uh, we got a couple saying more. Uh, Mateo is saying, yeah, about that much. <laughs> All right. Uh, I love it. Keep keep running things by me. Um, I love hearing from you folks. Comment below. You can email me, joe at samolaw.com. There's my phone number, 619-672-1741. I love you all and I'll see you next week.